Woods Eye Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we turn the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? It's a great day. If you've never been to Woodside before, uh, my name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here at the Lake Orion campus. It's, a, it's an honor to have you with us today, and uh, I hope you're pumped. I am excited about today's uh, passage. It's, uh, it's an exciting passage. It's one of, my, one of my favorites in all of the texts that we're looking at uh, in the last number of weeks. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 25, that's where we're going to be at. Uh, we've been tracking for the last number of weeks in Matthew 24 and 25 in a series we called What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today. Looking at what Jesus says uh, on the side of a mountain in the Olivet Discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, sharing with his disciples, sharing with them about things to come. And so they had some questions like, hey, how is it going to happen? And when is it going to happen? All these different things. And Jesus responds in all of Matthew 24 and 25 and what we know as the Olivet Discourse. And he's trying to prepare them as any good leader would for what was to come. Not just what was to come ultimately in the future when he came back, but he was even helping them understand what was to come in the destruction of the temple. And then later on, what we're looking forward to is ultimately the ultimate return of Christ coming in the future. And he has a lot of different stuff to say. And some of those things he says in parabolic form. So speaking in stories. And so last week we saw even a little bit of that when he talks about a faithful or wise servant. And then today, as we look at Matthew 25 and uh, verses 1 through 13, where he shares a little bit more going further on the same idea of being ready. Being ready for that return uh, to happen. And he shares this powerful Parable. That's why we just sang about this beautiful imagery of Christ being our groom, as the scripture calls it, coming back for his bride. And it made me think about my wedding almost 14 years ago, this beautiful time of my life, right? I mean, if you've been married, you think back, maybe it's a couple years ago, if some of you, maybe it was a couple decades ago, but it was, you can think back and remember that day, or if you haven't been married, you're looking forward to that day when you get married. It's a beautiful and amazing time. I mean, for us, if we think about the way that we understand it, like it traditionally happens when uh, you get engaged and then you look forward to this moment, maybe a year, I wouldn't recommend more than a year, but a year or so when you go and you get married, you make all these preparations and it's fun, the engagement's exciting, now you have a party for every element of it, there's an engagement party and then you have all these different moments and elements. It's fantastic, it's exciting, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, even the preparation for it. You and your husband or you and your wife, you're doing all the details and you work on all of these amazing things. You go back when I was getting married, you go to Bed Bath & Beyond, they give you a little gun and you scan all these items you'll never use, like a quesadilla maker or whatever it may be. And one day you sell them in garage sales. It's awesome. But uh, all these things that you thought that you needed, and uh, I don't know about you, but maybe you fight in the middle of that because you have different opinion or what you want or whatever it may be. And then you finally get to the moment, the day when it's supposed to be this ultimate celebration. And it is. Oftentimes, you're so stressed out about all the details. You just want the day to get over. Then you can go to the honeymoon. And it's just this beautiful time in life. And it's a celebration. It's wonderful. And 
one of the uh, joys of being a pastor is being a part of those moments with couples and seeing a bride walk down the aisle and a groom's lip quiver as he tries to hold it together or vice versa. It's a beautiful and uh, quite amazing thing. But then when you think about what Jesus in his time would have thought about a wedding or Jewish people in their time, you can see some examples in the Old Testament. And sometimes we read into the Bible our understanding of marriage, which is much different for them. So for them, a wedding would be quite different, many times even being arranged. And you see that some in the Old Testament where patriarchs were married and they would go and even someone on their behalf would go and find a spouse for them and found a wife for them. And then when they found their wife, there would be a bride price cost, maybe like a dowry paid to the father and to the family for the bride. And then the groom, they would then be, the bride and groom would be betrothed to one another. And it was actually like they were married in that moment. You see this in the Mary, the story of Mary and Joseph, right? Mary and Joseph, it says, in the beginnings of Matthew, it says that they are betrothed to one another, yet they have not yet come together in marriage, which means they haven't consummated their marriage. But yet, Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. It says that he decides in his own heart to divorce her quietly. Why would he divorce her? Because they're already considered married because he was a just man. He didn't want to humiliate her, and so he's going to divorce her. So for them, this betrothal period was like they were married, but it wouldn't be longer than a year, but they're oftentimes separated. And this times of separation was a time of preparation on both parts. So, the, so the, the wife would be prepared and getting ready, saying goodbye to friends and family because she would go and move with the husband and all of her preparation. And the husband, the, the, the groom would leave and go and prepare a place for them to stay. And oftentimes in Jewish terms, it would be an insula that they would actually build on to the family home. And there would be a general courthouse maybe in the middle. And they would have their kind of home in one big place, one big unit. And when it was all finished, and the husband was prepared, he would go and get his bride. And then there would be this unbelievable celebration. A celebration that maybe would last a couple of days, not like what we experience, maybe a few hours, but a couple of days is beautiful, amazing celebration. You might ask, like, why are you telling us this, Jim? Because... I'm telling you because it's super important when you read passages like this of understanding what Jesus is talking about when he shares these things. Because today he goes a step further from last week and he shares this parable about ten virgins and the expectation of waiting for their their groom to come and their preparedness for it. And all throughout, even last week and what we're looking at and today, he's beating that drum even further to stay awake, be prepared be ready. And so today, when we look at our passage, we're going to read it in a second, is true disciples make provisions to go the distance. The true disciples make provisions to go the distance. And we'll get there in a moment. I just want to spend a few moments with us just reading through the parable, the, the text, because that's the way in which it would have been taught. And just at the end, make some application for us. So if you look with me, in the very beginning of Matthew 25, and verse 1, it says, the kingdom, then the kingdom of heaven will be, that's key, like ten virgins. So Jesus here says the kingdom will be. So he's talking about in the future. The story of what Jesus is talking about is something that's supposed to be uh, understood down the road in the future. Because he's telling them all the while this is what it's going to be like one day. Now he's already told them. Chapter 13, read it later on your time. In chapter 13, he goes over and over again to talk about what the kingdom is like. Like it is currently. He says it's like a treasure hidden in a field in verse 
44 of chapter 13. He says it's like a merchant who searches for fine pearls in, in verse 45 of chapter 13. He says it's like a net that is thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every different kind. But now in chapter 25, he's saying it's not like it is now. He's saying one day the kingdom of God is going to be like this. He's showing that one day when we see Christ face to face, this is what it's going to be like. Now let's just read through and just, just walk through this story together. Let's read one through four together. Then the kingdom of God will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So Jesus is telling a story here, a parable. And he talks about ten virgins, a groom, and a wedding. We probably understand them in our terms as bridesmaids. They were called virgins because that was the expectation of what they would be going into the marriage. So that's why they're translated and talked about here this way. And so right away, we learn that there's a difference between five of them. So five are understood to be wise, and then five are understood to be foolish. And, and the difference is the fact that they all had lamps, but only five of them took extra oil, flasks of oil. And because of that, they were considered wise. Look in verse 5 with me. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. You know, good stories have to have unexpected turns and obstacles for them to be interesting. And so here, they're waiting for their groom to come, and he's delayed. They're waiting, they're looking every day like, man, where's the groom? And every day they look, and he's delayed. The story keeps going in verse 6. But at midnight, maybe an hour that they least expect it, seems to be a theme in our text the last number of weeks. At midnight, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Now the announcement's been made, the groom's on his way, they know he's on the way, so here they're, they're making preparations, but it's at midnight, and they were sleeping because they were tired, and they wake up and they try to gather their stuff and get their lamps ready. And then verse 7, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, they're preparing. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for all of us, for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. So now it seems like the foolish, for the first time, these five, the foolish virgins are, are finally realizing that they've got a problem on their hands. They don't have enough oil. It's like a, a phone without a battery. If it's dead, it's worthless. So their, their, their lamps are running out of oil, and they're realizing it for the first time, that they're maybe not prepared. Remember, one's called wise for a reason, and another one's called foolish for a reason. Now, you might say, this is odd. I mean, sharing is caring. These people can't be Jesus followers. Like, they should obviously share their oil. This isn't okay. But I have to help you understand, when you're reading parables, there's the, the parable is taught for one main reason. It's not meant to be dissected in a bunch of different nuances, and this means this, and this means that, and all of these different things. Jesus is teaching one main idea, and we can't get off track of that. He's further proving the point by them not sharing something that we need to be prepared. His main thing is like, watch. We'll see it at the end. Watch, because you don't know the day or the hour when I will return. So look in verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him 
to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Now, this is supposed to be like a joyous, amazing scene, right? It's a marriage feast, but it's celebratory. Everybody's going into the wedding. Like, imagine that day when you got married and people are celebrating. You do your little dance as you walk into the music. And at the end, you're throwing rice or sparklers, whatever it may be. It's supposed to be this celebratory time. And it is in the text. But on the, on the contrary, it's also a tragedy of exclusion. It's a tragedy of exclusion that the bridesmaids or the the virgins that are on the outside, these these wise women are already inside, and that's celebratory. But then there's other ones. The door is shut, and they're standing on the outside. It's closed to them. I can't tell you. The only time we like a door closed to us is when we're on the inside and we're safe. We never like a door closed to us when we can't get in. So there's a weight here in the text, right? And look in verse 11 with me. Afterward. The other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered the weighty words, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Lord, Lord, open to us. Truly, truly, I say, I do not know you. So the foolish five men, they went, they weren't prepared, so they had to go and buy some more oil, and they get back, and finally they get back, but it's too late. The door is closed, the celebration's happening, everybody's on the inside, they're excluded, and they can't get in. Remember what he said last week, he said it will be like the days of Noah. Here's this imagery, it's kind of very similar. They mocked and they made fun of Noah, he's building this ark, and then the rain starts coming, he closes the door, and the people start to realize they are not ready for what's about to come, and they knock on the door. And the door stays closed. The same imagery is almost similar here. And it's amazing to me. It's really interesting that in verse 11, Jesus starts moving. He begins to leave the story world and begins to enter into the real world. What I mean by that is he's leaving the parabolic world where he's teaching in parable. And he's entering in, in some way into real story. Because we don't hear Lord, Lord. Or we don't hear groom, groom open the door. We hear Lord, Lord. He's already beginning to move to application for his disciples. Lord, Lord. But it doesn't open to them. We've heard this same phrase in other areas with the same outcome. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's one of the scariest words in scripture. Later, I mean, even you hear the phrase open to us. Matthew 7, 7 says, knock. And it will be open to you. But here now there's a tinge of sadness because it's the opposite. It won't open to you. And even when you read it, Lord, Lord, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about the groom? Are we talking about Jesus? Are we talking about who? It's kind of ambiguous in the story. But all I know is in all of the texts of Scripture, there's only one person called Lord, Lord. His name is Jesus. And all of this is to say that even in the story ending, he's beginning to apply this story to his disciples' lives and application for obedience when he calls in the very end in a parable at the end of the story is often the punch what we would call the nimshaw the reveal like right like i showed the example of the story of the the good samaritan is like who's my neighbor jesus stares this amazing story and the whole time like yeah that's awesome that's awesome and at the end their enemy becomes the neighbor that they're supposed to love it's the reveal at the end they're like no that can't be right it's the reveal that was shadowed before in the parable. And now we see it at the end of our story in verse 13. Watch therefore. Here is the entire point of the entire story Jesus is saying. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Are we ready for 
the game to come. When you think through the story, there's some practical implications that we can pull out of the story. I just want to point us to a few of them. The first one is this, and it's a mouthful, but superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Man, Jesus knows the time is coming. His, his time on earth is over. He's trying to prepare his disciples for the future, and he's preparing them for what's to come. And the foolish with their lamps did not act like the wise ones. They didn't take flasks of oil. They looked the same. I mean, it's interesting. When you look at it, the way they're described to us, it appears that they all seem the same. They're all together, and the problem isn't revealed until the end, until midnight. And in ministry with Jesus, if you read the Gospels, Jesus often talks about this group of people that are around. And it's a little uncomfortable because he warns often about people that have the appearance of faith. They think that they know God. They think that they're close to God. They have all the right answers about God. But at the end of the day, it's revealed at midnight here in our story. When the groom comes, they're in for a big surprise, right? One of the heavier texts in Matthew says, Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, the women... The foolish women in this story are meant to illustrate to us one of these types of people. They're around. They're present the whole time. They take the lamps like the rest. They, they go after the bridegroom. They're drowsy. They fall asleep. But ultimately at the end, they don't belong because they weren't prepared. And the groom doesn't knock. Can I just be honest with you? I mean... Some, some of the things I struggle with and wrestle with maybe are a lot different than you because I'm a pastor and you're not. This is one of the things that weighs on my heart week after week. That there are many people under the sound of my voice and in other churches all over the world that think they're very close to God. And they don't know the Lord. They know a lot about God. They fit in and they're with everyone else. Maybe they've been going to church their whole lives. But one day they'll hear, depart me, I never knew you. And I know this because scripture says that that will happen. I know this also because I, I, I hear stories of people, right? So people that were maybe in 2018 or 19 thought that they knew the Lord and they were tracking with us at church. But then in 2020, they really revealed uh, that they, they were like, man, I was not a follower of Jesus. And they went from like seeing God in gray and white and black, but really going to see the Lord fully in color. It's like one story, this person, I want to read it for you. I was raised to know God, but somewhere along the line, I got lost. For years, I lived as a good person, simply following the rules. And then around high school, I noticed others thriving and loving relationship with Jesus. Whereas my experience with God was nothing, was, was more like a giant taskmaster in the sky. Now fast forward. In his loving kindness, God's loving kindness, he laid bare my empty obedience and brought me to my knees in repentance and forgave me of my prideful, idolatrous, self-righteous heart. He enveloped me in his presence and Love. Now that's amazing. Do you see that? That's totally different. Black and white and color. Before I saw God as this big taskmaster in the sky who had to come to church to make him happy. And I've been doing it my whole life to over here in color that no, I was enveloped with his love and kindness. And I have a deep, profound relationship with him. 
this was part of the things that overwhelmed me. He wants us here to notice that these people were around faith. They were going to church, if you want, following all the rules of a taskmaster. But at the end of the day, they're far, far from God. And God breaks through and opens their minds and their heart. Before it was empty religion, and then it became firm knowledge of who God was. You see, that's why I say superficial discipleship will prove insufficient when you face your maker. When we stand before God, don't think that we can be around faith and, and allow it to save us. No, Jesus, that's the, exactly the opposite of what he says. Empty obedience and following rules and all this other stuff is insignificant unless we know Jesus. Does Jesus know you? I'm not saying God knows all of us. He knows every hair that's on your head. But he's, he know, do you know him or do you just know a lot about him? Because there's a major difference. There's a huge difference when you come to the text of Scripture. And this story illustrates that for us. Not only that, it says in our text we see that delays actually test us. In our story, you see that exact thing happening. There's a kind of, 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 of discipleship that's superficial and that doesn't last. And these foolish five women were exposed when? When only they had to wait for the bridegroom. When it was delayed in in their preparedness, they weren't prepared because they were delayed. Maybe if he would have come earlier, they would have had enough oil, but they were late. They were, they were delayed because they weren't prepared. And it shows itself. And at first, like I said, it seems like there's no difference. They're all the same. There's ten of them. They're all wanting to see the groom. They all fall asleep. But then, when he returns, they wake up and they're not prepared. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven will be like. You see, Jesus already taught this a couple of times in Matthew's gospel. You remember last, I think it was not this last time or some before, we went through a series on the parables. And Jesus, in the parable of the soils, shares in Matthew 13, he says, man, for some people, they hear the word of God and immediately receive it with joy. I mean, man, they hear the word of God and they're like, this is incredible. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. See, Matthew 24, Jesus is warning about persecution coming over and over again before this. And he wants to make sure that, man, we are really doing soul work, soul care. Are you a part of this with me? Because testing is going to come. And the early disciples thought that the return of Christ was coming right now. Like, man, it's going to happen. He's like, no, just chill out, wait, calm down. Eventually it's going to come. But in the meantime, I want you to be prepared and walk worthy of what I've called, uh, called you to walk in. Can I tell you, when something's delayed, oftentimes it shows our true colors. Like, I want, I want a spouse. And then we're like, God, Why? Or I want this, right? And it reveals who we are. It's like the little girl in, um, in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. I want to be from the, but now, God, you know, like that kind of thing. It reveals in us, like, she's a spoiled little brat. And oftentimes that's how I am to God. And when we're delayed, when God's delayed in doing what I want him to do, in the delaying, in the, in the, in the, in the rough spots, in the hardships is where it's revealed, whether we're ready Man, do you have a deep, deep longing, loving relationship with the Lord? 
What does your faith look like 10 years ago to now? What will it look like in 10 years? As you wait for the Lord to return, is it getting stronger? Is it getting weaker? Is it growing by the day? Or is it something else? And I think maybe the most significant thing we see in this parable, in this text, when Jesus talks about what the kingdom will be like in the future is this last thing, is that preparation can't be borrowed. In the kingdom of God, preparation is not something that we borrow from other people. The foolish five, man, they tried to feed off of the preparation of the wise ones. Man, they like, you know what, maybe in the back of their mind, I don't know this speculation, this isn't in the Bible, but they're like, ah, it looks like they got enough oil, guys, we'll be good. They got enough for all of us. It'll be fine, but then when everything happened, it didn't work that way. You see, in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks of this. In 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 5.10, he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. One day, each one of us, each of you in this room, each of you watching online, each one of us will stand before God and give an account for our faith or lack thereof. Our children will not be able to stand on our faith when they stand before the Lord. You won't be able to stand on your parents' faith one day when you stand before the Lord. You won't be able to stand on your family member's faith. You won't be able to stand on your friend's faith. You will have to stand on your faith. Your preparation can't be borrowed from someone else. Being a follower of Jesus is not something we're born into in a family. It's something we believe. It's something we give our lives to. You see, in the story, it's illustrating that I can't borrow someone else's preparedness. I can't borrow someone else's faith when one day I stand before the Lord. It's either mine or it's not. And no amount of following my parents to church or my friends to church is going to prepare me for that day. You see, the foolish ones, they looked like they did. They took lamps, but they didn't take oil. But the live, the, the, excuse me, the, the, the faithful ones, the wise ones, they took flask in preparation, oil. Their faith was real. When they stood before the groom, he said, yeah, come on in. Here's the thing. I think people can begin to follow Jesus. or I think they can begin to follow Jesus without thinking through the less obvious implications of faith. I mean, without counting the cost, not thinking of what it's going to impact in my life and easily say, yeah, I want to do that. You see, I give a bunch of examples. I'll just, I'll just give you a few that I think through. And I think this, man, we don't think through how radically different Jesus called us to think about money. In our day and age, this is a big deal. Most, the wealthiest, most prosperous nation in all of the world, we should be reading these texts on money. We don't, we don't read through how radically different Jesus calls us to think about money. And Martin Luther even said, a person must go through three conversions, a conversion of the head, a conversion of the heart, and a conversion of the purse. He wasn't just saying one thing. He was saying that it comes slowly for us to understand. And we may think that some of our money goes to gospel work and goes towards Jesus, but Jesus looks back and says, all of it is mine. You're just called to steward it. Right? And oftentimes I don't think we think through like the implications of the radical implications of what a, a life in the gospel calls us to with hospitality. Showing hospitality to brothers and sisters in Christ and strangers. 
know, we often just say, man, we'll just pray for them. We don't think that, man, our home is something that Jesus says, all of it is mine. All of it is meant for the brothers and sisters. All of it is for the healing of the nations and in, indul- not just indulging my comforts, but to be used for my kingdom. Man, if I could just press on this, this hot moment in the history of our, um, uh, of our country, man, we don't think through our loyalties when it comes to the gospel. Our loyalties, right? What do you mean by that, Jim? And we, we may think the gospel is cozy with our political party to the right or to the left, not realizing the gospel always brings serious critique to all the structures of men, whether in ancient Rome or modern-day America today. And you can make man, countless examples. We could keep going and going, but true discipleship means every inch, every area of your existence belongs to Jesus. Now, Sure, that's a struggle. It's an up and down, over and back and around, and two steps forward and one step back because we're broken and we're human and we're sinful. But it's my heart in it. Where's my heart in all of this of following Jesus and my preparation to receive him? At the end of the day, I want you to wrestle with this one question before I leave. This one question matters. When the whole of your life is done, when you've won or lost and when your strength is gone and all those different things, the only matter that matters, the only question that matters is does Jesus know Does Jesus know you? In this whole context of like marriage that we've been talking about, you know in the Bible, it uses the word know in an intimate level between husband and wife. It adds another layer to our text. You know, Abraham knew his wife and they conceived and had a child. There's a sexual intimacy in the word know in scripture. And when Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you, there's even more implications there that he didn't know you. He knows who you are, but does he know you like a husband and a wife know each other? And they're tracking together. They walk. They love one another. Does he know you? Do you know him? He said to these five foolish women, truly I say to you, I do not know you. That is not what he wants to say to you. I mean, Jesus literally came after us, gave up his own rights, gave his life on a cross to offer himself to you so that you could know the creator of the universe and he could know you in an intimate, amazing, beautiful relationship. He wants to know us. Nothing hurts him more than to say, depart from me for I never knew you because he gave everything that he might actually know us. I mean, this whole story, it's amazing when you wrap it all up. I want to read a quick verse for you, a couple verses in John chapter 14. This is how beautiful the scriptures are and how interwoven they are. I don't know if you ever read it like this before, but in John 14, in verse 1, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. He's speaking to his disciples. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas is like, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you remember what I told you at the beginning? For then the groom would come and pay the bride claim. And he would leave for maybe about a year or less and go build, prepare a house for his bride. 
And at any time, when he's preparing his bride, he will come, maybe when the bride is least expecting it, to take his bride back to the home that he's prepared for him. Can I tell you that Jesus already came, he already paid the bride price with his life. He gave his life on the cross and he paid the down payment, the bride price for every person that will place their faith and trust in him. And one day he's coming back. He's prepared a place for us in his father where there's many rooms and it's beautiful for us, the bride of Christ, the church to take us all home with him. And it's going to be an unbelievable, amazing celebration. Read about it in Revelation when he brings us all in. And what a tragedy, what a tragedy. That I might, that we might, as someone who's heard the gospel of Jesus might be standing on the outside in celebration. Because Jesus already made a way. He already paid the price. Behold, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Come to me. And I love you. I want to, I want you to be my bride. I want to take you away. Man, does Jesus know you? Has he saved you from your sin? And are you ready to stand before the God of the universe? Man, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is amazing news for you. You celebrate. Man, that's why we come into this room. That's why people clap and cheer and holler and, and lift their hands. That's why we celebrate. That's why we live celebratory lives out there because we are in a deep, profound, intimate relationship with the God of the universe who loved me so much he came and gave his life for me. He paid for me and he invited me into this amazing relationship. So man, I give my life back to him like I would to my wife because she gives her life to me. But man, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you have never confessed your sin, placed your faith wholly in Jesus Christ, and said, all of my efforts and my strength and all the striving I did, all the times I came to church and tried to earn your favor, God, and none of it worked. Today is good news for you. Because today is the day where you're saying, you know what? For a long time I've been seen in gray and black and white. And maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. And for the first time you begin to see in color. But Lord, today I confess with my mouth and everything I've done in my own strength is actually garbage. It's literally called the filthy rags in the New Testament. And I place my faith and trust in you today, Lord. I give you my life. And when I stand before you, Lord, it's not going to be like, Lord, I gave all of my money. I came to church. I did my stuff. That's why I, I was prepared. No, he's going to look. And he's going to say, man, no, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I'm covered by Jesus the blood of Christ because he, he paid that price for you. So that's today if you're Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, Jesus Christ in celebration. But think back to your wedding days and that celebration. Man, we can celebrate. We know the Lord. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.